God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. We have four big topics for you today, and they are the omnibus, uh, the Zelensky speech, and Ukraine funding, and the, the, <laughs> and the FBI, J6, and the Trump and looming Trump indictments, the referrals, and also the the trials that are going on out in Arizona in the Maricopa County, they're finding all kinds of new stuff. And, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that Blake masters, um, he, he very well could, this could end up being a new election. Uh, you know, I think Charlie Kirk said it best. He said, if there was a day of election earthquake, you would have a do over. And the amount of mistakes and problems that they were having out there by themselves is an earthquake, but done on purpose, it becomes even something different, right? Like the main candidates ought to be thrown in jail. Like Katie Hobbs shouldn't be walking the streets. She should be incarcerated and she should probably do 20 years of jail time for rigging the elections the way she did. I mean, this is a criminal act. There are people, there's a guy, I think there was someone in Georgia got busted for election fraud and got 20 years or so. I thought, that's harsh. I mean, I, I think it is harsh. But when you do what you, you know, when you exploit your Secretary of State status and you're running for governor and you steal an election... And you you got you to gotta do at least a day of jail for every single person you disenfranchised. And if that's in the millions, then you get 20 years. We'll cap it. But, yes. And we have a lot of different audio clips to get to today, so I'm not going to do as much talking as I just want to share a lot of these thoughts and ideas and... Um, and where am I going to start is the question. 
So I think I'm going to start with um, the Omnibus. Why not? The Omnibus, right? So the Omnibus, uh, Steve Miller, Stephen Miller, he is an advisor to President Trump. And I thought he gave a really good analysis, a good response to the $1.7 trillion omnibus packed with wasteful spending. And, you know, this comes at the same time that we're giving money to Ukraine. But, you know, our country is broke. We're $31 trillion in debt. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense that we're doing what we're doing, except for the fact that the laundering scheme works so well. You know, back in 2016, they used... um, Black Lives Matter, and they used Act Blue to funnel monies uh, through. And and in 2020, I mean, in, yeah, in 2020, they were in 2022 at least, they were using FTA. Oh, yeah, 2020 they were using Act Blue as a as a kind of like a funnel of money, a conduit, so to speak. But in 2022, they were using FTX, and they were given FTX all this money. In fact, there's this new story where Sam Bankman-Fried through FTX got some sort of a one point something billion with a B uh, loan, and then loaned that to Alameda, which was his hedge fund that his girlfriend was running, with fake funny money. I mean. And the government was giving them the the money. And of course, we know about the connection with the Ukraine National Bank and the donations that were going to Ukraine, you know, and all these Klaus Schwab world leaders like Justin Trudeau and, and you know, the uh, leaders of UK, whoever it was at the time, not Rishi Sunak, but uh, pr- probably Boris Johnson and others. Um, but... Emmanuel Macron, you know, Ruda uh, from uh, the Netherlands, all these different people that are on board with the Klaus Schwab climate initiatives and the social credit scores and the digital currency and and taking your land and, and burning up and blowing up fertilizer plants and trying to save the earth. But really, they're raping and pillaging the gold out of it and, you know, printing up funny money like like. Uh, Um, colonial francs in exchange for real gold, you know, giving you a a monopoly dollar and getting the rights to buy gold. And the people that agree to that in the Congo are basically selling out their country because they know that that money's halfway worthless. But for the time being, it's going to get them the Cadillac they want. You know, it's going to get them that nice little uh, luxury uh, house, you know, with the funny money until they de- until the currency completely flattens out and devalues once people realize that it's just worthless paper so all of these things i mean i was looking at this meme this corruption there was like the iceberg and the biggest part of the iceberg is under the water and this is what we've seen we've seen just the tip of the iceberg and really the cor- level of corruption in government is going to be so much broader than that you know, Twitter files alone, you got the FBI, the gull. <laughs> They're blaming the American people, the FBI is. They're blaming you, 
for your conspiracy theories on things you're basically reading. Never mind the fact that they're, you know, busting down the door in pre-dawn raids for Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and every Trump supporter and, and everybody that worked for Trump. Never mind the fact that they've impeached Trump twice over Zelensky's call. And Zelensky now is their rock star hero among the left and the rhinos in the right. I'm not buying it. You know, the guy's worth about a billion dollars right now, flying all over the world, wearing pajamas, uh, a set of pajamas, acting like he's in some sort of war fatigue in Washington, D.C. It's incredible. He shows up speaking before Congress in a, in a basically a sleep shirt. You know, it's, it's, it's like a clown show. Who buys this anyway? I mean, who is buying this? I honestly don't know. Do people really take this seriously? If, if you could just climb into my head for a second, I'm like, that is total BS. <laughs> total and utter BS. There's nothing real about Zelensky coming to Washington. Nothing. It's just a ruse. It's just an exploitation. It's just a play on the American people. They're spitting in our faces. And they're lying through their teeth. Just listen to Jean-Pierre or the FBI giving their statement. It's ridiculous. And the commonsensical people are making sense, but there are too few of us. Like I said, I said, um, you know, 20% of the world's elite is following the globalist agenda because they, want, they don't want to be ex- exiled, right? And there's another 20% that are in, in extreme poverty. And it's that those two entities, the government or the power elite, and then the, the bottom of the barrel... Those two are always going to believe in socialism or communism, where the powerful present the tyranny to the weak. And somewhere in a healthy economy, in a healthy country, you have this vibrant working middle class that's independent and not being pushed around, not being shoved, not being um, uh, hit hard with inflation, not being told that they got to redistribute their wealth and pay for somebody else's health care or pay for somebody else's education, right? So there's about 60%. Now, the upper middle, that's 20 of that. The upper middle is slipping. They're basically saying, well, I have a chance to be the elite, but I have to get on board and I have to actually talk about this Klaus Schwab nonsense of climate change and and social credit score. I have to. I have to either get get on the get on the train, or I'm going to be exiled. So they slip into being liberals because they have to kiss the ring and kiss the butt and uh, try to get up that ladder, just into the top ring. But then you have that bottom middle class, the lower middle class. They're getting crushed by the inflation. They're getting crushed by the gas prices, and they're getting crushed by. Uh, the COVID lockdowns and their stores being shuttered and they're getting crushed by all of these things that the government is wielding at them. 
you know, they're getting crushed because they no longer can buy an affordable gas-powered car. They have to buy an electric vehicle that they can't afford. They're getting crushed by the uh, unbelievable inflation and the increase in housing costs. So they're getting crushed, and they're slipping right down into the bottom of the barrel. And now you got 80% with only 20%, that middle-middle, that middle-middle in the 20% zone. That's the only thing that's left standing. They're, they're the only people left with common sense that aren't selling out, that don't have an agenda. But that's not enough to win an election anymore. And that's what they're doing. They're rigging the elections until they can actually wield their power and gain control. And and then they'll never lose another election. Once they start packing the Senate and packing the Supreme Court and ending the filibuster, nobody's ever going to have a chance to speak again. Nobody will ever have a voice in this country again. It will be overrun by liberal nonsense. MK Ultra PSYOP. It's absolutely happening right before our eyes. We're spending money we don't have. I can remember not too long ago we went from twenty trillion in debt eighteen trillion in debt to thirty one trillion in debt like overnight. It's 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 negligent. Our leaders need to be replaced. And we need to get to the bottom of these crimes. But no matter how much you catch them, you catch them red-handed. And they're like, so what? Yeah, we robbed the bank. You saw us do it on camera. But we now control the bank. So, you know, take your business elsewhere. That's kind of what they're doing. It, they, you know, Trump turned them into a crash, uh, smashing grabbers, right? Smashing grab job. There's nothing pretty or fancy about it. It's just, it's just brute strength. At some point, they, they're going to make it completely obvious. The FBI certainly has. I mean, Ray Epps. Where's Ray Epps? So... Let's take a listen, though. We're going to start off with this Omni uh, omnibus, $1.7 trillion, And we're going to uh, talk today about Zelensky. We're going to talk about the FBI, J6. We're going to talk about Maricopa County and the election fraud that's been going on out there that's being exposed. It's quite interesting. Let's take a listen to Stephen Miller talking about how bad this omnibus is for America. Oh, let's see. And um, here we go. An unmitigated legislative atrocity. This is the worst spending bill in our lifetimes. It neuters border security. It guts immigration enforcement. It ties the hands of our border agents and our ICE officers from enforcing duly enacted law. And it does nothing to force Biden to end catch and release, even though in mere days, House Republicans would take over and if given the chance, pass a provision on the spending bill ending catch and release, and forcing Biden to deport illegal aliens. As we speak right now, an American patriot, Mike Lee, is fighting, desperately fighting, 
to get border security on this bill. But it doesn't just finance open borders. It finances critical race theory in the form of equity and anti-racism. It finances the radical gender ideology that is destroying the education and the welfare of our children. It finances one radical left-wing initiative after another, enmeshing Democrat priorities into every aspect of this government. And all we would need to stop this madness is a two-week CR, a two-week short-term bill, so that Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans can stand up for this country. Instead, tonight, we have the spectacle of people waving the flag of Ukraine, while nobody in leadership in the Senate is standing up for the United States of America. Enough already. Thank you, Steve Miller. Yeah, tell me how you really feel. Uh, this guy, this guy, I I wanted to play this a while ago that he was talking about, you know, the election fraud out in Arizona, and he was so powerful. And we're gonna go to the, go there, and we're gonna play this clip. It's it's quite quite amazing. Um, right here. Let me ask you. If you took your life savings to a bank and the teller put them in a machine and the machine kicked out one out of four of your bills and the teller said, don't worry, we'll put them in box three over here and we'll let you know how many were in there later. We'll send them off to a separate location and someone will be sure to get back to you and tell you how much money you have. Would you be okay with that? No, you would not be okay with that. Now ask yourself the question, which is more valuable, your vote or your money? Now ask a lobbyist that same question. Now ask a campaign manager that question. Now ask Mark Zuckerberg that question, which is more valuable, your money or your vote or your country or this world or the corruption that is taking over every single county in this nation? And then you look into your own soul and you look back at yourself in the mirror and realize that you are the cancer that is tearing this nation apart. Good day. <laughs> you got you got to admit that is pure raw passion right there. I love it. I love it. I got to tell you it's a little strange but I love it. All right, let's take a listen to Carrie Lake. Uh, she says, we believe that what we're going to be putting forth today, uh, this was yesterday, any judge across the country would look at this evidence and rule in our favor. That's how strong our case is. Let's take a listen. You know, listen, we had, I think it was like 18 um, people we were going to be putting on the stand when we had many counts that we were looking at um, taken to court and the judge kind of narrowed really narrowed our case to two counts and so we have to really prioritize every second of the five hours we have to prove these two counts and we're really concentrating on Maricopa County and the, the clowns that were running that operation so they're the ones who are going to be on the stand well as much fun as it would be to put stuttering stammering uh, panicky Katie Hobbs on the stand we, we would have a ball with that but we have to prioritize every second of our time to prove this case. And we believe what we're going to be putting forth today, that any judge across this country would look at this evidence and rule in our favor. That's how strong our case is going to be today. And we're about to go into court and, and watch our, um, our amazing uh, legal team do that. You know, we're, our legal team is being headed up by a Navy SEAL, a former Navy SEAL. So I've got great faith in him. 
He has been working so hard on this case for a long time, and we feel really confident with what we have, Steve. All right. So, you know, the the deal was, yeah, they, they limited it to like chain of custody and a um, couple of things. Um, they had eight hours, I think is what it was. It was riveting, though. I got to tell you, it was uh, really entertaining. And there was a lot of testimony. We're going to go into certain clips uh, right now and get through these. This was a good one. Um, uh, Rach, yeah, well, no, I had the wrong thing. Oh, before we get to that, I want to hear this says this. Aside from that, Clay Perique testimony at Kerry Lake trials says he inspected 15 duplicated ballots. He inspected 15 duplicated ballots yesterday. And out of those 14 out of the 15 inspected were 19 inch ballots printed on 20 inch paper. Scott Jarrett, Maricopa County testified previously that could not happen. This is potentially huge, damning evidence of intentional election programming failures. So, yeah, this guy basically said, an election expert out of Alabama, he actually said that um, what was happening is, what was happening is um, that, um, you know, that you, you cannot... Do print to uh, print to, to fit. You can't save to print, uh, save to fit, or print to fit. There's a setting and a printing printer print to fit, right? And you, you, there's not a feature on there to do that. But the attorneys, their attorneys, Katie Hobbs' attorneys, were trying to suggest it was just an honest mistake. But no, it the way he said it. It had to have been done on purpose and maliciously and on the back end because it cannot be done on the machines out in the front end. So these were purposely uh, shrunk. And once you get the image, a 20-inch piece of paper, and you shrink the image to 19 inches, now all the checkboxes that are going to Cary uh, Lake uh, aren't being counted because it's the scanners looking for a region on that paper for a checkbox, and they're not getting it. So let's take a listen to this guy. Is there any way, in your opinion, for a 19-inch ballot image to be projected on a 20-inch ballot by accident? No, sir. Why not? Because the settings and the configurations and the procedures that are used cannot allow that these are not a bump up against the printer and the settings change there are security there are security configurations i've reviewed the evidence and the printers are configured via script which by any large organization that has to do multiple systems is a standard this takes away the human error of somebody miscoding in the instructions either on the printer there it is. And so that was the really one of the big things, chain of custody and the size of that. But then you also have this. Um, when they talk about uh, some of these companies, th- there's pictures of these guys uh, from Rumpthen, Rump, Rumpkin. Um, I'm going to get that name in a second um, once I hear it. Um, 
But the the people that were associated with that, there's clear photographs of them at this restaurant meeting up with Katie Hobbs' communications person. So, you know, not only did Katie Hobbs meddle with the team at Twitter and in social media, which was illegal, um, which is not one of the aspects of this case that should be, but is not. Um, then there is the case of, of, uh, the chain of custody. So, and, and then there's the case of this Steven Richter, which he denied that he was a member of a pack, a super pack. So Maricopa County recorder, Steven Richter testified under oath that he did not create a pack that opposed Carrie Lake. That would be illegal. There are screenshots. That would be the government working directly against the candidate. You know, uh, there are screenshots of now deleted tweets of Richter, Richard, uh, Richard is his name, Ricker, announcing the pack. Plus, news articles reporting Ricker's pack. Looks like Ricker's Ricker may have perjured himself. Let's take a listen. Isn't it true that you ran a political action committee that was opposed and spent money opposing my client for yes? That is 100% false. 100% false? Correct. Thank you. All right. So now here we have a slide. It says, uh, this is a, this is a uh, twi- tweet. Stephen Richter says, uh, is responding. And responding to this, it says, News, Stephen Richter, the Maricopa County recorder, is launching a PAC to support ours running for non-federal AZ offices who acknowledge the validity of the 2020 election and condemn the events of January 6, 2021 as a terrible result of the lies told about the November election. So what's, what that's saying is that Stephen Richter is a Republican Stephen Richer is a Republican that is like Liz Cheney. Basically, you're not allowed to question the results of the 2020 election because they were Republicans sort of like the Republicans in Georgia, never Trumpers like Kemp and all those misfit toys down there uh, that were running that election into the ground in 2020. Um, And the same thing is true here. Uh, this is a uh, Stephen Ricker, Richer, that uh, it's spelled Richer, R I C H E R, but I heard it said Ricker or something like that. But uh, um, in any case, so it's so long as you're you know you're going to support Republicans who are rhinos, who hate Trump, that's what he's all about. So this is the kind of Republican we need to get rid of. Thanks to and so Stephen Richer responds to that. With a tweet, thanks to a few generous donors, this is now launching. Join me if you care about traditional Republican stuff. Free people, free markets, rule of law, but also don't believe in conspiracies about the 2020 election or that January 6th was a tourist event. <laughs> All right. And, um, and then there's, there's this right here where it says... In this article, Republican candidates who reject the false and baseless claims 
that the last election was rigged may have some extra financial support in the next one, courtesy of Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer. So so basically he's made it his mission that so long as you deny reality, uh, you can get some money from him. This is the kind of thing that uh, was endorsed by yeah, it says here, the headline on the AZ Mirror says, Stephen Richer creates pack-to-back pro-democracy Republicans. <laughs> All right, so th- there it is. You know, that's uh, kind of a, a, an interesting thing. And he was involved in this election knee-deep. So here's another one. Experts suggest the Arizona Elections Procedures Manual shows Stephen R- Richer was not being truthful when he said he was not responsible for the oversight of drop boxes on election day. Let's take a listen to this. Recorder Richer hypothetically were to testify that, oh no, I'm not responsible for drop boxes on election day. Would that be accurate? It's my understanding, according to the EPM, that it specifically makes the recorder or the recorder's dead knee responsible for uh, the secure retrieval of ballots deposited in drop boxes. So it would be my understanding that that applies um, to Election Day. There is no exception to the requirements for Election Day. Recorder Richer. All right. All right. So so that's a direct counter to what Stephen Richer said. And then chain of custody, the same lady Okay, it was called Runbeck, right, Runbeck. So Runbeck, there are photographs all over Twitter, and basically they're showing the employees of Runbeck sitting with um, a bunch of Katie Hobbs people. And who knows? It could be legit. Like, oh, well, she's overseeing the election because she's Secretary of State, and naturally they'd be meeting with Runbeck. Okay, maybe there's no harm, no foul, but it seems like to me you got a machine system that's working in the dark of night with no chain of custody doing the counting because nobody was counting what they were picking up at the drop boxes. So they would just pick up a bunch of stuff from the drop boxes and then just start opening them and counting them and then dumping them, not really calculating how many votes were in different drop boxes? And then when they would go in door number three and and all these things weren't working right, they would take those votes and they would have them counted in the dark of night with no chain of custody. If you were to even ask how many uh, ballots are there there, they would say, we didn't count them. We didn't know. There was no chain of custody. I mean, how could you run an election like that? You know, where did these ballots come from anyway? They could have come from anywhere. And that's the problem. And that's what you get when you have mail-in balloting, ballot harvesting, and a lack of chain of custody. And that's why we have to get back to in-person voting, because that's the ultimate chain of custody. That's, uh, that's where you can show up and vote. And I would say make it, make it you know, in-person voting only. And you could even make it Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday if you want. You know, whatever you want. 
Um, boy, if people have to work every day and they can't, you know, whatever. But you have to show up and vote in person. That's all there is. To, and you have to show an ID. I don't know why uh, recent Supreme Court uh, uh, decision in North Carolina said voter ID is is uh, unconstitutional. You know, I mean, I understand that voter ID uh, conversation because vote IDs, it, because the Constitution says every citizen should vote. But what has happened is you've taken the word citizen off of the census. Remember they voted for that? They voted that off? So we don't even know who's a citizen and who's not. Which brings up then the argument, maybe non-citizens should be allowed to vote in Americans' elections, which is insane and ridiculous. And we would be the only country that allows that to happen. So when the Constitution was written, it really wasn't about, you know, ID. And so basically they're saying, okay, well, if you have a voter ID, like, or, you know, a driver's license or some proof of ID, that, that, that was after, you know, the fact in a sense. So you got the Constitution says every citizen has a right to vote and nothing should impede that. But there's got to be something done to get around this voter fraud. And what compounds this whole thing is you need an ID for everything else too, right? Uh, we, we hear those arguments, but those are not the arguments that are going to win the Supreme Court cases. The reason why the Supreme Court's are siding against voter ID is because we have to get to a place where it's not about the ID anymore. It's about showing up in person and it's about videotaping precincts and it's about, um, you know, basically uh, preventing people from voting twice. And we have to figure out a way to do that. Uh, in a better way. We have to figure out a way to where, um, and and ballot harvesting and mail-in voting is not the solution to the problem. That's for sure. Let's take a listen to this chain of custody expert talking about both Runbeck and Maricopa County. They weren't following the legal requirements for chain of custody. Um. Uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes. And um, her concern was that uh, specifically the um, the seals were being removed when the um, uh, ballots were received back from the drop boxes. And um, her concern was that uh, specifically the, um, the seals were being removed from the transport containers um, and the ballots inside were not counted. Uh, she, you know, that was a requirement as she understood it. And the fact that they were just taking those ballots out of the transport containers without counting them um, was was her primary concern. And then, okay, so we have two different people you have spoken to working in two different places, correct? Correct. Once you're at Runbeck, the third party vendor. And one's here at McTech, right? MC Tech? Mm -hmm. All right. And both of them are both telling you that there is no chain of custody on election day for ballots being transported from MC Tech to Runback. 
that correct? Correct. They weren't following the, the legal requirements for chain of custody. So there were seals on the containers um, when they transported them, but the, the specific issues were that they were just cutting them open, taking the ballots out, putting them in trays without regard to how many, or, and there was no documentation. Um, there were handbags and purses um, where they were processing the, um, the, the ballots. That was a con Handbags and purses. <laughs> okay, that sounds like uh, a recipe for disaster. Let's take and listen to more of her testimony. Do you have all of Maricopa County delivery receipt documents? We do not have any. We requested them, but they said they had misplaced them. And those are the ones that were uh, for election day, correct? Well, actually, we didn't get a single one of those for the entire election. It, it is... Uh, the testimony of uh, the uh, in the declaration of Runbeck uh, employees that no such documents existed for election day. For election day. Right. Hey, what about prior to the election? Yeah. So this was this form was actually created for all of the, the days prior to election day. And I'm sorry, but my question was specifically related to election day. Okay. There, there were none. Well, we did not receive any. They said they misplaced them, and the Runbeck employees said none existed. Do you have all of Maricopa County delivery? So that's that. Uh, I think that they have a strong case. Let's take a listen to this guy. Powerful testimony by RNC attorney Mark Sunnicler. Had there not been tabulator issues at 132 vote centers, this election would have resulted uh would have ended up with Kerry Lake winning? And the answer was yes. Based on what I saw uh, on election day, I would say there's no question in my mind that had there not been tabulator issues at 132 vote centers, this election would have resulted, would have ended up with Kerry Lake winning. You have no personal knowledge as to... So that's pretty, pretty... Definitive. Let's take a listen to more of his testimony. And what you personally saw at those 10, 10 vote centers? Well, it, it was really pandemonium out there um, everywhere. I, I, I was within, uh, from Fountain Hills to North Scottsdale, or where my vote centers were. I started out in Fountain Hills, and immediately, I mean, there was a line, there was a line of 150 people at Fountain Hills. Um, the tabulators were not working, and um, that was what I saw at, you know, I saw the same thing happening at uh, six of my ten vote centers. Um, there were different things happening at some of the other ones, too, but six of them in particular were really bad, um, you know. And, and so you, you've been voting for a number of years, correct? Yeah. Uh, how would you characterize the events of the 2022 general election compared to other elections that you witnessed? Oh, this was uh, a completely different animal here. Um, so I was a roving attorney at, uh, during the primary, and there were you know, some minimal problems there too. But the general election was a complete, completely different situation. Um, there were lines out the door, which did not you did not see during the primary. 
uh, at many of the vote centers. There were angry um, and frustrated voters who did not want to put their ballots into box three. Um, and um, there, you know, it, it was just, and, and, and then there were the poll workers who were extremely frustrated and really didn't know what to do. Most of them, I would say, were doing their best, you know, to, to figure out a solution to the fact that the tabulators were down, uh, were not reading the ballots. Um, everyone was just freaked out. A question for you. So, you know, one of the things is I agree uh, that um, I don't think it was the poll workers that were involved in the, you know, the, the corruption. And not only that, I think that that's what the play was. These poll workers were played. The whole turning that uh, ballot into a 19-inch ballot on 20-inch 20 sheet, 20 sheet of paper, which was really a major obstacle to overcome that caused a lot of these problems. The guy, the guy from Alabama um, testified that he thought it was done maliciously and on purpose. It couldn't be done by mistake, and it presented all kinds of problems. And this was done by Katie Hobbs. I believe this was done by Katie Hobbs. I think that th they knew that this was going to throw off the counters, and they were they were not going to be counted. And I. I'm not sure if they knew that there was going to cause the kind of problems that were caused or would they just slip through the machine and not be counted and no, and there'd be no error. But they went through the machine and they got spit out. They were rejected. And so um, it's blowing up in their face. And I think that the only explanation for the 19-inch image on a 20-inch piece of paper not going to the bleed on the edge of the paper rendered the checkboxes out of sync with the sensors. And if that was done on purpose, then yeah, this would change not only the governor race, but it would change the Senate race and the secretary of state race and on onward. So there's a lot of this going on. Um, I want to get back to Ukraine real quick. I want to uh, talk about this. Uh, this is um, uh, this is a Tucker Carlson interview with um, um, drawing a blank. Hold on. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching that speech, and it really Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> it really is kind of the manifestation in front of our very eyes of a whole lot of hypocrisy because you have the Biden administration's whole foreign policy is essentially based on democracies and autocracies. We've got to divide the world between these two categories and the U.S. is going to lead the charge for democracies to defeat the autocracies. And so they have said, hey, Ukraine is a thriving democracy and Zelensky is this hero that is protecting this democracy, which is why Biden says we'll do everything within our power to support him. And oh, by the way, we're going to send uh, almost a uh, hundred billion of American taxpayer dollars to go and support this defense of democracy. But when you actually look at what Zelensky's democracy yeah. is, 
You see uh, no freedom of the press. He has shut down any media that he does not control, his government does not control. He has gotten political opposition uh, arrested, made sure that that's happened. As you mentioned, he shut down the biggest Ukraine church uh, in the country. And, and I found this quote today. He has actually threatened to punish, quote, any Christian caught worshiping in unapproved ways. So this is the democracy that they are saying, well, we need all of your money, our money, taxpayer dollars to go and defend. This is their shining example of democracy. It's no surprise then when we look at what's happening here at home, Tucker, and it's no surprise how we see the political and power elite so easily and willing to undermine our own democracy, undermine our own freedoms, abusing their power to achieve their own political interests because they look to Zelensky's democracy and they see a reflection and an opportunity for themselves. I just don't understand how members of Congress could know that this guy is arresting Christian priests, seizing churches, banning an entire denomination and not some, it's not Scientology. This is like an ancient denomination. How can they endorse that? I don't understand. And they're Americans? Like, what is this? I think it shows a pure dereliction of duty, frankly, on so many of these members of Congress from both parties who are so hooked into and controlled by the war machine in Washington, the military industrial complex, that they will sit there. You know, they they took a pledge to uphold our Constitution, to support and defend the safety, security and freedom of the American people. And yet they're just sitting there clapping and cheering on this guy who uses fancy words like democracy and freedom and aren't looking at the facts of what's really going on and have no idea where our taxpayer dollars are going. And as you said, could not define what is our objective that serves the interests of the American people. Absolutely. I thought that was a really great uh, set of analysis there. Let's take a listen to this. This this is about the J6 thing. So let's uh, just take take a quick listen here. Um, Uh. Got to cue this up right. Okay, here. Itty is still pretending that its work is part of a legitimate legal process. Oh, it's all totally normal. Of course, it's not. It's extra legal. It's grotesque. It's an actual assault on our norms. And it was designed, of course, to stop Trump from running for president. Again, that's the whole point from day one. So now they've decided, well, DOJ should prosecute Trump. Okay. You know what's going on here. However you feel about Trump. It's just transparent. But what's interesting is even by their own standards, they're inconsistent because the committee did not send a criminal referral about Ray Epps. Remember Ray Epps? He's the guy who's on video multiple times, unlike Trump, urging people to storm the Capitol building. Here it is. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for it. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. So the New York Times has declared that if you notice what Ray Epps said, you're a dangerous conspiracy theorist who is imperiling Ray Epps' life. Obviously, we don't want to imperil anyone's life, including Ray Epps' life. But how can you not notice that? What? The guy was on tape multiple times telling people to go into the Capitol, and he was never sent to jail for that, while people who just happened to be there did go to jail? And then Adam Kinziger himself thanked Ray Epps. What is going on here? You're not a conspiracy nut if you have that question. Really? Oh, it's not some sort of op? Okay, then what is it? 
After January 6th, instead of talking about these obvious questions, why did the security let people in to the building instead of asking what exactly was Ray Epps doing? Instead of doing that, the media decided to go after people who are like basically innocent of anything. MSNBC went after a guy called Brendan Strzok, really went after him. Here's an example of their coverage. All of those people, uh, those closer to Trump and those in the outer circles, all of them appear to have been smart enough not to commit the federal crime of storming the Capitol live on television. <laughs> Brandon Straka is the exception. Now we've got a guy who was there, who was involved in the lead up to the insurrection, who's on the stage there at the rally the day before, who breaks into the Capitol. Brandon Straka, so right here. You, it wasn't just that they said things about you that weren't true, and we know they're not true. This is not one man's opinion, like it's been determined you didn't storm the Capitol. But this kind of derailed your life. If you wouldn't mind, just our audience may not know exactly what happened to you, but just will you summarize it quickly for us? Absolutely. So my case has been bizarre since day. every January 6th case is bizarre, but I'd say mine is especially bizarre because people may not know, I was actually never indicted for January 6th. My entire case was based around one FBI agent who went to one magistrate in Washington, D.C. and requested an emergency order to have me arrested. This was based off of eight minutes that I stood outside of the east side of the Capitol on January 6th, shooting a video the entire time that I was there. So for the full eight minutes that I stood 35 feet away from the open doors of the Capitol, I never went inside and I was shooting a video. I uploaded that video to Twitter to my audience to let them see what I was documenting on that day. And two and a half weeks later, an FBI team of agents in tactical gear raided my home at dawn, put me in handcuffs and took me to jail. <laughs> yeah, that's it's that's America. That's the America way. Right. Listen to uh, uh, Senator Cotton talking to an FBI official about Ray Epps. OK, um, let's turn to another issue that came up earlier today. Ray Epps. Uh, during the January 6th riots last year, Mr. Epps was caught on video several times. He seemed to encourage uh, people to enter the Capitol to break down police barriers. Uh, video from the rallies, uh, or from the rally down the National Mall early that day, shows him doing the same thing. Uh, video even from the night before shows him encouraging people to enter the Capitol. Ray Epps lives in Arizona. He didn't exactly go underground after January 6th. He even gave an interview to local media. And he was well known to the Department of Justice. He was on the FBI's Capitol Riot Most Wanted page just days after January 6th. Uh, in fact, he was one of the first 16 suspects added to that Most Wanted page on your website. It does not appear that he's been arrested or charged in any offense. In July, without explanation, he was removed from the FBI's most wanted page. Mr. Olson, who is Ray Epps, and why was he removed from the FBI's most wanted list? Senator, I don't have any information about that individual. Um, I would defer to, to Ms. Sanborn for any additional. So, but, so, okay, so this is, it gets back to what I, I meant earlier. So he just basically then says he doesn't know, this is the guy, one of the head guys at the FBI, doesn't know anybody on on any of the lists. He just, he knows nothing. He's like Colonel Schultz. I know nothing, see nothing, do nothing. From a former so this is um, Cash Patel talking about how J6 was a complete and total setup. Federal prosecutor perspective, let me just give you that lens. If we're to believe the reporting that there's eight, not one, eight confidential human sources and possibly even dressed in pro 
Trump gear, um, you have to hit a timeout button and say, wait a second. It's not like the FBI found these people and said on January 5th and said, go forth. A confidential human source for the Federal Bureau of Investigation requires a minimum of a six-month onboard vetting process. Then you have to go through the rules and regulations on how to be a confidential human source. And once all of that happens and the FBI does their own internal verification to approve not just your background, but your relationships and your financial stability. And do you have ties to enemies of the United States and things like that? There's an extensive process there. We exposed, we being Devin and I, when we ran Russiagate, we exposed Christopher Steele's source verification process at the FBI, which at the time was classified, but now has been put out. When the FBI themselves determined Christopher Steele would basically be a terrible source, but they decided to use him anyway because they needed him to cover up their corruption. Now let's relate that to January 6th. How do we have eight people there? And Christopher Ray, we'll get to him in a second, refuse to answer questions about it. You have to ask yourself, okay, well, that was in planning for at least a year. What was the FBI doing planning January 6th for a year? Christopher Ray has testified that the FBI never instigated or helped the January 6th protesters commit crimes. Then there was a testimony from the FBI and Christopher Ray about January 6th where he says, we, the FBI, had no evidence that January 6th was going to happen. The two cannot coexist, Jan. You either have eight confidential human sources who have been working for a year and placing them in specific groups and locations for January 6th, or you don't have evidence that... <laughs> yeah. Well, the FBI is just, it's become a a mob gang. It's a a corrupt system. They've lost 100% of credibility with me. Uh, And the CIA, the same. You know, we know that the CIA killed JFK now. And nobody even wants to cover that story. I, I just don't understand what America we're living in, where you find out the truth that's been covered up for 60 years and all of a sudden, you can't say a thing. Or nobody wants to talk about it. Oh, well, that was yesterday's news. No, that was the CIA killing a president. And, uh, you know, nothing for nothing, but also tried to impeach Nixon and got him to resign. And not only that, but it was only 60 days into Reagan's White House that he gets shot. Uh and his vice president happens to be the former director of the CIA, Herbert Walker Bush, a New World Order globalist. So it's it's it's, it's corrupt as can be. <clears throat> anyway, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out MAGAPAC.org and find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. And also use Red State as your promo code over at MyPillow.com. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. We're a stand, the mound's getting steeper. I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.